I'm going to jump right in with a question. If you are a follower of Jesus, what is your faith based on? I'm just going to let that one hang there for a second. Don't switch off or gloss over the question. What is your faith based on? And if you're not a Jesus follower, is there something that has been stopping you or something getting in the way of you choosing him? A quick look on many forums discussing the validity or otherwise of Christianity will highlight a lot of reasons that people give for being unable to reconcile a faith in God. How can I believe in a God who was a mass murderer? How can I believe in creation when science tells me it's impossible? The Bible is full of loads of contradictions. How can I believe any of it? And I wonder if you are a Christian, if any of these questions or comments have been put to you, what do you say? How do you respond? My name is Rachel and I am one of the elders here at Andover Baptist Church. And this morning, if you have ever found one of those or plenty of others that the reasons, the stumbling block for coming to faith, or if you've been asked any of those tricky questions, and if you haven't yet, you probably will, you might just find a different way of looking at things as we launch our new series, Aftermath. That word, aftermath, I don't know about you, but to me, it seems powerful. It's like it can only really fit after some kind of event that sends shockwaves, an event that causes consequences. Have you ever experienced something that has left you talking about it for a long time? Or experienced something traumatizing that has taken you a long time to process? Sometimes an aftermath is happy, other times it's confusing and sad. The aftermath that we are going to be looking at took place just under 2,000 years ago. When Jesus went about his ministry, he had gathered a group of 12 disciples who accompanied him everywhere. These were a group of ordinary people who were Jesus's closest friends and followers. The people he stayed with, even when he was trying to escape the crowds that followed him, they were close. They saw the miracles that he performed firsthand. They saw him heal people, create food from nothing. They'd seen him walk on water. They'd seen him calm storms with one word, and they had seen him raise the dead. Can you imagine seeing any one of those miracles? You'd be talking about it for a long time. But the disciples also bore witness to Jesus being arrested, being put through a show trial, and then, then they saw him, their friend and teacher, being put to death in a brutal, awful crucifixion. Imagine the aftermath of that. The man they had trusted as their Lord was dead. The aftermath of this was total. They were scared and they were grieving and they were lost. But their story was not yet finished. On the third day after Jesus had been killed, when the women who had been in Jesus's group went to the grave to perform the rituals of the time for the dead, they were confronted with an empty tomb. Jesus had risen from the dead. Jesus had defeated death and he was raised to life. Imagine being there in those days of the aftermath to that. Imagine being one of the disciples. How would you feel? How would you cope with the total emotional roller coaster of the last three years that had culminated with a death and a resurrection? How would you feel about Jesus? Well, some of these disciples who were there at the time wrote eyewitness accounts of what they had seen. And that is where we are going to pick things up today. A man named Luke was a doctor and he had spoken with many of those people who had witnessed the miraculous events of Jesus's ministry. 
people who had, with their own eyes, seen what had happened. Now, Luke was an educated man who, unlike many of the people at the time, was able to read and to write. And whilst he had not witnessed all the events himself, he made it his business to record what those eyewitnesses had seen. Luke was perhaps the very first historian of Christianity, and there is a lot of evidence to suggest that he was, in fact, a very good one. Some of the events and detail that he wrote about showed that he had access to very reliable sources. He was the author of two of the books that are in our Bible, the first named after him and the second called Acts. In the opening to his first book, he says this, Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write a careful account for you, most honourable Theophilus, so that you can be certain of the truth of everything that you were taught. I wonder, have you ever joined a story partway through or picked up a book and just dabbled in it? Maybe you switched on the television and begun to watch a programme halfway through. In any of those things, having missed the beginning, the setting, the detail, it can mean that you have a totally different view of the events you are seeing or reading, and you might not end up with the whole picture. Well, Luke was absolutely intent not to do that. He made sure that he carefully investigated sorry, everything from the beginning, not partway through, but the whole account. Not a quick little note-taking exercise, but an investigation not for his own sake, but so that you, the reader, can be certain of the truth of everything that you were taught. Are you more likely to believe an account that lacks clarity, detail and context, or an account that is carefully written, so as to include all of the detail and context so that it can be understood? Christianity isn't about closing our eyes and hoping for the best that our hope is in the right place. It's looking carefully at the evidence before us so that we can be sure of our conclusion. Now, the main passage that we are going to look at today is actually at the very beginning of Luke's second book. And it's in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 8, and also verses 21 to 22. And he begins, In my first book, that's the book of Luke that we were just talking about, I told you, Theophilus, he's writing to the same person, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after his crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. In the immediate aftermath of the crucifixion, the disciples and followers of Jesus had been terrified. They were in grave danger themselves because of their association with Jesus. They were terrified of what his death meant. They saw it as the end of what they had been a part of. Peter denied even knowing Jesus, and he and many of the other men and women went into hiding so as to avoid the same fate as Jesus. But then they saw him. Not on one occasion, but on many occasions. Why was that? Did Jesus just have a lot to tell them? Well, quite possibly, yes. But Luke gives us a different emphasis. He says this, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. If you had seen Jesus after having seen him killed in front of you, would you have believed that he was real? Would you have had doubts? 
Certainly some of the disciples had been cautious for sure. They thought they were seeing a ghost and were afraid. But then Jesus asked them to touch him and see that his body was real. And when some still doubted, he allowed them to see the wounds on his hands and his feet. And still, as they stood there in disbelief, he asked for food so that he could show them that he was able to eat. Each time, he was willing to reveal more and more of himself as they watched and their faith grew. One of the disciples, a man named Thomas, even with Jesus still in front of him, needed to touch his wounds. And Jesus allowed him to. He didn't judge him for his doubts and he won't judge you for yours either. Luke had realised that it was almost too difficult for people to believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. And he wanted the reader to understand that people did have doubts, but that Jesus met them where they were and proved his reality. And so Luke continues. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know, but you will know when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The disciples, most probably like you and I, would have been desperate for God to restore his kingdom swiftly. The disciples were tired of living under the tyranny of the Romans and fully expected God to bring justice that they believed should come. However, God's plan was different. He was to establish first the kingdom in the hearts of Jesus' followers everywhere by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says so very clearly, you will be my witnesses. Jesus knew that the result of the aftermath of what the disciples and followers had been through would be the total transformation of their lives. They were witness to a man crucified and then by the power of God raised from the dead. They would go from being terrified men and women, hiding from those around them in the wake of his death, to bold, brave, fearless and courageous men and women in the aftermath of the resurrection and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Even though they faced the same terrors, they would face them differently. The witness would be powerful. So the disciples did then go to Jerusalem and waited just as Jesus had instructed them to. And while they were waiting, they considered that they should choose a replacement for Judas, who was the disciple who had betrayed Jesus and who was by this time dead. So reading now in verses 21 and 22, the disciples said this. So now we must choose a replacement for Judas from among the men who were with us the entire time we were traveling with the Lord Jesus. From the time he was baptized by John until the day he was taken from us. Whoever is chosen will join us as a witness of Jesus's resurrection. The disciples weren't looking for someone like Luke, for example, who was well-educated, clever and likely well-spoken. They didn't look for the most physically strong man who was there. They made the most important requisite for the next disciple to be one who had been with them the entire time that they were traveling with the Lord Jesus. 
Not someone who was there some of the time, not most of the time, but the entire time. They had to have witnessed it all. Being a witness was crucial because if they were to do as Jesus said and tell people about Jesus everywhere, starting in Jerusalem and going gradually further and further afield until the ends of the earth had been reached, the testimony of those men and women who had seen with their own eyes was crucial. The transformation that happened in their lives, as we'll hear about in coming weeks, was an incredible testament to the truth of what they had witnessed. Their detailed and complete witness of the life, death and resurrection of Jesus is why we are tuned in today talking about him. And here is how we get back to our question at the beginning. What is your faith based on? Some of us have been brought up to set our faith on the foundation of the Bible as a book. There used to be a kid's song way back when that said this, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Well, yes, the Bible does record that, absolutely. But it's not the Bible that's telling me that. It's the witness of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John that is telling me that. It's the witness of the first Christians that I get to hear the good news from. It's the people in the book rather than the book itself. Jesus didn't commission the disciples to be a a witness about the Bible everywhere. He commissioned them to tell the world about him, Jesus to go everywhere as his witnesses. And it was this witness that was the start of the church, the beginning of Christianity. When people have a faith that is based on the book of the Bible, when questions get raised about it, things get tricky. People such as Richard Dawkins or Sam Harris, who have a totally different worldview, one without any God in it, can begin a conversation where they systematically attack the credibility of the Bible as a book, both factually and morally. Now, you might have a faith that is now such a part of your life that these questions won't faze you. But if you're new to faith or even considering faith, when that kind of discussion begins, the reality is a lot of us will flounder. The next generations, our young people, will be affected by these kinds of discussions, all the more common on social media. And if their faith is based on a book, and when someone challenges one part of the Bible with their arguments, all of a sudden there is doubt cast over the validity of the rest of it. It's like a house of cards. You remove one and they all come tumbling down. Do hear me right. I love talking about the Bible. I love the wisdom contained within it. And I love to explain how it is relevant to me. But my faith isn't based on the Bible as a book, but on the witnessed events in the Bible. Yes, I can see God all the way through it. I can learn about him. I can see his faithfulness. But the greatest revelation of God is in Jesus himself. Without Jesus, all the previous revelations were partial and preparatory, absolutely inspired, but also incomplete. So when someone asks me why I'm a follower of Jesus, I can tell them that I'm a follower and my faith is based on Jesus. His witness life recorded by those who were there and who saw him. My faith is based on the fact that he died in my place as he said he would do and that he then rose again, just like he said he would. He defeated death and that is what my faith is based on. We can learn a lot from the first Christians living in the aftermath of Jesus' life, death and resurrection. A simple faith based on what they had seen and the challenge of Jesus to be his witness to all people. So if you are a Jesus follower, will you be that witness? 
Will you tell people about Jesus and what he has done? Will your answer to the question of why faith be Jesus and all he has done for you? And if you are not yet a follower of Jesus, is now the moment that you are aware of him asking you to follow him, to take that step of faith and trust him as he is for what he has done and as you are with your doubts, fears and failures. Let's pray together now. Father God, we thank you for those early Christians who faced such hardship and difficulty as they shared their witness of you. But we are so grateful that you gave them the Holy Spirit, just as you give us the Holy Spirit now, to share the witness of what you have done in our lives. Lord, I pray for every person watching here who is a Jesus follower, that they would be filled with your spirit to be courageous witnesses of you to those that they meet. And Lord, for those who are watching who may not yet be a Jesus follower, I pray that right now in this moment, they would accept you in their heart as the saviour of them. Lord, I pray that they would come to you, acknowledging that you are needed in their life. And Lord, I pray that you would just be with them now. Give them peace and make yourself known to them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.